Hello and welcome to the Football Fives podcast. Let's go again. <laughs> Keep that in, Ryan. Yep. Great start here. Can Flintensi score yet? Yeah. The answer ahead. Oh, he's trying to find him. It's broken for Fabregas. Now it's in the Esther. This is it. It's in. Two now. Mezzanazzo. He's looking for three goals. He's got Hello and welcome to the Football Fives podcast. My name is Daniel Storey and I have two friends with me and we have an Anything Goes show this evening. We are minus Chris Nee for reasons unspecified, uh, but we do have David Hartrick. Hello. Hello. You alright? Yeah, not bad mate, not bad. How are you? Looking forward to Saturday. Uh, yes, well, it's the annual snooker trip uh, for us, apart from one person who was foolish enough to put himself forward to run the London Marathon. But mm-hmm. uh, yes, the rest of us will be enjoying some high-quality sphere, and it looks like we may well have copped for Ronnie for the second year in a row. Have some of that. Yeah, that is good. Now, having never been before, it's a bit of a bucket list thing for me. Uh, so yeah, I am very much looking forward to it. The other man is Ryan Keady, who is running the London Marathon on Sunday Uh on yeah, on Sunday, so we'll not be at the snooker on Saturday, and it's only going to be twenty six degrees, Ryan. So it'll be fine. Yeah, hottest Mar- London marathon on record. It will be, which, it, you know, uh, should ha- be fine. having seen you in your shorts, I can confirm that is going to be true. Um, uh, we should, you should, before we go any further, quite seriously, you should donate towards what is an excellent cause that Ryan. If you go on Ryan's Twitter page or various other places, wait uh, five minutes. Yeah, uh, Ryan is raising money for dogs. Can't remember the specific charity. I think it's just dogs in general, which I think is a cause we can all get behind. <laughs> I have offered to double my donation if Ryan goes and wins this thing. Uh, so fingers crossed. He's been on the PEDs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it should be fine. Although, some... yeah. yeah, all right. Should we talk yeah, about some actual football? Good. Yeah, hello, Dan. Hello, Ryan. Are you well? Yeah, good, fine. Yeah. Are you doing anything the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> fine, good. Um, yeah, we're get, we've got an Anything Goes show this week, and it's kind of end of season feel e uh, on the basis that the season hasn't finished yet, but it really, really feels like it has. Uh, so question one, the PFA Young Player of the Year Award nominations were revealed this last week um, and contain 24-year-old players on it. So, if you could restructure the award so it wasn't so cataclysmically stupid as it is now, how would you do it, Dave Hartrick? Um, well, I think I think we're probably all going to have quite similar suggestions, but I think the one we I'd be surprised if we don't all agree on immediately is that I think it should be players at age twenty-one or under. Um, mm-hmm. I think by twenty-two, twenty-three, a player can have played a hell of a lot of football. I mean, I've, I've no stats to back this up, but. I wonder how many games someone like Romelu Lukaku had played by the time he was sort of 22. Um, mm-hmm. So the notion of, of this is a young player award at that stage is ridiculous. So I think we're all agreed, 21 and under, that's that's your young player. Um, 
But the 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 other thing I would introduce, so your your nomination into the the final five or six, that's a one time only deal. As soon as you've been nominated, whether you win or not, that's it. Mm-hmm. You can't be nominated again. You you're then up for player of the year the following season if you can okay. back it up. Because I just Which don't is... see I don't see any point, you know, if I'm completely mm-hmm. honest. Once once Wayne Rooney's won it a couple of times. Deli Alley's won the last two, hasn't he? Yeah, I believe. I just don't see any point in that. You, you, you know, win it, brilliant, mm. right? You, you moved up a category, haven't you? <laughs> You're in the next yeah, I, category. I, and I suppose that uh, the retort to that that people fairly rightly say is, well, it doesn't matter. So who cares? Which I kind of think fair enough. But then if you're going to have the award, do it we might properly. As well do it properly, hadn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the la- the last couple of things I wanted to mention really is that. It should be top division only. Um, the Cessignon inclusion this year as as a one-off, I can completely understand that. But an awful lot is based in the fact that he is uh, a very exciting English player going forward. He, if you were going to pick somebody from that league, you'd go with Ruben Neves, who yeah. has 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 been sensational. So. Mm-hmm. I think it has to be top division only, and I think, as Ryan will back me up here, we we always had a justification on when we were doing the IBWM 100 that they had to be playing in the top flight because you may have a kid with all the promise in the world playing in League One, but if you've got a kid who's playing in the top division of the country that is available to him and he's getting regular minutes, you can't ignore that. You you can't because it's you know the, it's different levels of ability. So it it should be top division only, and there are yeah. plenty of division specific awards. It should be noted, you know, teams of the year and player of the year and various other things. Um, but the last thing is, I think the selection process is fundamentally flawed. I mean, forty four times this has been given, thirty two English winners, seven more from Wales or Scotland. Um, the only foreign players who have won it have been ridiculously outstanding players in terms of Edin Hazard, uh, Cesc Fabregas, Cristiano Ronaldo, Harry Kuehl and Nicholas Anelka, who both at the time were, were absolutely brilliant. Mm. I think this is ridiculously weighted towards anybody who is young English and starts playing regularly in the Premier League. And I think there needs to be some sort of different selection criteria because you're not telling me that 32 times out of 44, an Englishman has been by far and away the best young player in that league. I'm not having it. It's a weird one. The the I I hadn't considered your the point about uh, non top flight winners, although it does jar to me that Cessnion is in there at all because I I agree it, there is nothing to suggest that it has to be. The PFA is an organisation that covers all divisions and um, exactly the same as with the LMA manager of the year that covers all divisions but I remember Steve Copper winning that in 2006 I guess yeah 2006 that's when when Reading got promoted and he won it when Reading got promoted and then he won it again when Reading won the Premier League and did pretty well Um, and again I think if you're going to start going well you're allowed to have non-top flight managers you know you'd look at someone like John Coleman at Accrington Stanley and say, well, he's more deserving than 
Pep Guardiola maybe. But it's mm. very weird in that it's impossible to compare, isn't it? You can't yeah. compare the job he's done with the job Guardiola's done because and it's entirely different. That's exactly what we said about the 100, wasn't it, Ryan? We had a big discussion about this and they are two different jobs. They're two different levels, two different standards and two two different sets of criteria being asked of you, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Go on then, Ryan, you go. Yeah, I'm... Uh... Kind of, I think, in agreement with a lot of what Dave has said. Um, there's, I, th- I think, there's, there's probably some criteria that and, and hoops that players have to jump through. I don't necessarily mind the age thing. I, I think 23, 24 is is still a relatively young player. I think where it gets ridiculous is you've got somebody like Harry Kane who won the awards in 2014, 15, and has been nominated every year since as a young player and as a player of the year. Um, which you know he's he's moved on. He's played a hundred and I think nearly 150 odd times now in the Premier League, or will be by the end of the season. So I think there's there's probably criteria about experience to throw yeah. into this. So I think if any if the season before or at some point in your career you've played over 30 times in the Premier League, then you're immediately out of it. You're you're not what I'd consider a young player. You've or if you've you've reached 50 appearances, maybe not 50 career appearances, but it's like 75 career appearances in the Premier League. I think that's the kind of point where you go right. You you've had too much experience. You're you're now out of that that kind of running. We look at other players, so then that gives a chance to, all right, Jamal the shells is in his second season, I guess. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, but the, those kind of players who I, I think he's still relatively young. Yes, he turns twenty-five this year, but was overlooked for this award because you have the the kind of obvious picks, and and I think this is the thing where Harry Kane will benefit from. Yes, he's having a, a decent season at the moment and is is scoring lots of goals. But because he's not an immediate contender for player of the year, but still qualifies for young player of the year, he kind of gets a pity mm. vote. Um, and I, I'm not trying to pick on, on Harry Kane, but he's not on the season he had last season. And, and But he's, he's still getting those young player of the year awards because he's he's in that reckoning for the player of the year and, and almost as a way to kind of go, right, well, I can't pick you for player of the year because I've gone for Mo Salah, I've gone for Kevin De Bruyne. I'll go for you, for you in here, and, I, and then he ends up just in both categories, which, which is pointless. So I think there needs to be a, a clarification. I don't want to. I want to avoid moving like it being a rookie of the year. Or, you want to avoid that, do you? Necessarily something like that. I, th- I think so, but I could, but then I also there's, there's a part of me that like uh, I don't want it to have to be their first season because somebody like uh, Kane's a good example where he had a couple of years breaking in and, and didn't, and then once he hit the ground running for Spurs, he played thirty odd times, scored twenty odd goals, and, and was. In and yeah. that that should have been the year he was a young player looked at gone maybe a second year of that that's fine but he shouldn't be on that short list five four four seasons in a mm. row uh, I think this year he's, he's ineligible so I would like to you know, I'd like to qualify it with a level of experience which I I picked as if you've played thirty games in a single season you're immediately out of the run yeah I think that's I, I mean I I'm more on the side of. Uh, limiting it well I would limit it on both I would limit it on age um, partly f- for the reasons Dave said and also partly because players now peak at different ages you know strikers peak at, um, at different ages to defenders so you inevitably on the young player of the list get attacking players you know I think a player like Davinson Sanchez like I said it at the time and then he went and played absolutely dreadfully against Manchester City but I think he's had a, a, a really really I think he, in terms of expectation, has had a better season than Harry Kane, um, and yet will not. I can I can actually see why he hasn't got looking because if you look at the other players, you think, well, yeah, they they peak so young now. 
Leroy Sané, Raheem Sterling, Harry Kane, all on that list, peak so young that it's inevitable that they're going to hoover up those. Um, the, the, the obvious example for me, I think it was last season when Christian Eriksen was still eligible and had played sort of 300 games or 280 senior games, which is madness. Um, and the other thing is I, I do like the idea of Rookie of the Year. I really do. I think it should be that or Breakout Star or whatever. Um, yeah, I think it should be that. Um, yeah, I, th- I, I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with this. And I think if you if you put qualifiers on it, like the number of appearances they've made in the competition or their experience, it would become more of a recurring thing. I think we, we look at it now and we've got a relatively similar list of, of nominees. And I reckon if, if we're asked to, we could probably guess mm. three of the nominees for Young Player of the Year for next season. Based on ages and and who kind of the, the, who's got the reputations in the the competition, mm. so I think you would there should be a bit more of a turnover. I think Player of the Year is that recognition of yes, you've been a standout player in the competition. I think Young Player of the Year should be a kind of one and done. You could, once you're nominated, it should be very difficult for you to to earn another nomination. I'm not, it shouldn't be impossible, but. I think it should be very difficult for you to to appear on that nominee list twice. Yeah, and I, I also agree with with Dave, as I said about the top flight thing. Um, and and I actually I don't agree with Sassanion being on there. Um, I think it should be if we're having this breakout star thing, it should be top flight only, so that if Sassanion moves to the Premier League this season or if Fulham get promoted and he has a great season, fine, of course he's eligible. But um, you know he was named. He was named Championship Player of the Season. He was named Championship Young Player of the Season, and he was named Championship Apprentice of the Year. It, it, to an extent, these are all things are all meaningless. But there's no need. He's, he, if he hadn't been named, no one would have been going. Where's Where's Sessegnon? This is ridiculous. And I think including one player from the from the second tier, as Dave said, it means well, why not Ruben Neves and why not get uh, John Coleman and the PFA Manager of the Year and the LMA Manager of the list if we're going to do that and. You know, it's just... I just don't see the need for it. I don't see the need for it. And and I think they've only done it, again, as Dave's referenced, I think they've only done it with Session because he's English. I think if this was a, fo- a foreign player at that age, I don't think he'd have been named. No. Um, There's not a chance. Reverse xenophobia. No. Um, we'll move on to question two. Uh, long-term and loyal listeners may be aware that we... Uh, back in the day created our Berliner Fußball Fives our fantasy club uh, if we were again in charge of that Fußball Fives and it's fair to say we've um, we've been on holiday for a while um, if you could sign one of <laughs> Mohamed Salah Harry Kane Kevin De Bruyne David De Gea or Andy Reid who are we signing and why? read the question properly Mohammed, so you've got a choice between Mohamed Salah, Harry Kane, Kevin De Bruyne, David De Gea or Lewis Dunk. Yeah. Uh, which one are you signing and why? Ryan, go first this time, please. Um, I Have we still got Henrik Larsson as our player manager? Yes, we have. Yes. Yeah. Okay, right. So that, uh, Good memory. I came into it thinking about that. So Harry Kane is gone for that reason. We don't need him. We've got Henrik Larsson. We're fine. Um, I don't necessarily think our marquee signing should be a goalkeeper, although I do adore David De Gea. Um, so it, and it it came down to a choice between Lewis Dunk, Mo Salah, and Kevin De Bruyne for me, um, and I, I went with De Bruyne to be awkward and different. Um, bring him back. He's already done it in Germany. He's proved himself. Good. He's got that experience. Good, yeah. Yep. Thanks. Nice uh, football trope. Um, I just I think I, I like De Bruyne more. I'd like him marshalling our midfield. I'd like him uh, 
setting off counterattacks and threading balls through for Larson to, to pull Coleman. I reckon they'd set up a nice little bomb. I guess I'm um, also and yeah, but asking here, uh, would he be your player of the season? Yeah, yeah, he would. The difference maker. Yeah, very much so. He's he's been the. I think that um, he. Yeah, he's been asked to do very different jobs, and and I think he he spoke quite eloquently about it. And and I think he and Mosala have been quite good uh, examples of leading contenders for player of the year, where they've they've both spoke about their strengths and and where they are probably lacking in in comparison to their rival. Uh, I think De Bruyne has just been that uh, has been so good from the beginning of the season that while Mosala is very much the form player at the moment in the league and and doing good things for Liverpool. And and the form player in other competitions as well, um, De Bruyne has been De Bruyne has been so key to, to City and guided them through. And I know David Silva is is in that reckoning as well. And um, although he had some time away, unfortunately, with his family, and De Bruyne helped steady that ship. He's he's done different jobs. He's played different ways, and and has provided a fair amount of goals as well. Uh, Dave, go on, you go. Um, well, Lewis Dunk's not going to take a step down to join us. So we're left with <laughs> De Bruyne, Salah, De Gea and Kane. And I've thought about this and gone backwards and forwards and I've realised that it has to be De Gea. And any other suggestion is just ridiculous, really, because out of all of them, De Gea is the only one that is unquestionably the best in his position in the world. And if you're offered the chance to buy those players, you may as well go for the one who... You simply cannot get anybody better in that position. So mm-hmm. it'd have to go De Gea for me. Um, who I I think De Gea has also sort of got to the point where he's transcended the whole, you know, where Ryan was saying, I, I'm not sure our marquee player should be a goalkeeper. I think he's actually at that level now, De Gea. I think he is the superstar goalkeeper in world football. Um, and if he does go to Madrid this summer... Um, as a lot of people have, are are forecasting or think they're going to come back for him, it's going to be for an absolutely stratosphere. It, to be frank, it's going to be for an outfield fee, isn't it? Um, yeah. We, and you know what I mean by that, but it's it's going to be for an amount of money that is unprecedented goalkeeper-wise. Um, but yeah, he's he's the best in his position, so I'm having him. I um, We... Winty on on our site on Football Three to Five did a thing yesterday um, about you know just basically going through she she'd gone through Man United stats before um, and kind of couldn't work out how they were second in the league effectively um, and the answer is David de Gea you know that on on pretty much every measure they sit mm. sort of fourth or fifth in the Premier League you know shots chances created everything basically um, and then they've got this mm. superhuman goalkeeper. Um, mm. Who, yeah, you're right, they've somehow still got... Uh, and I actually think they probably will keep him this summer as well. Um, I, I think if they do, I think they realist. I mean, it's a funny thing to say about a goalkeeper, but I think if they do keep him this summer, then they're faced with a very real possibility that they they have to spend the following season impressing him, or he's off and he's gone, and he is genuinely irreplaceable you know they lost mm. Ronaldo and they went and signed three or four people to try and replace him if De Gea yeah. goes there's nobody in world football can replace him nobody no no I, I, I absolutely agree and I think in a way it sounds a, a really churlish and kind of petty thing to say um, but 
I think they got lucky with him as well because I don't think when they signed him they obviously thought he was excellent um, and in his first season he had a few problems etc etc but I don't think anyone really saw how thought saw how good he would be if he was that good and he was and he's been sensational he's been far better than I thought he was going to be I actually um, I had De Gea second on my list um, behind De Bruyne um, just because I, I you know I love watching him play and I would love watching him play for my team I really like De Gea I think he's absolutely brilliant but as a non-goalkeeper myself I can appreciate a good save but I can't really I don't you know, I don't get off on a really good save. I'd rather get off on a really good pass. Um, so, yeah, I went for De Bruyne. Uh, Kane is a funny one in that I could see why people listening might think, well, you've not even mentioned him and none of you have really mentioned him. But uh, for me, he was left off because I still think there's question marks about whether he would flourish away from Tottenham. And um, and I think he thinks them as well. And I don't think that's having a pop at him. I think I think he's on the same page with that. I think that's one of the reasons why he's happy to stay. Um, and none of us have picked the player who is now massive odds on favourite to be player of the year in Mohamed Salah. Well, he was um, my number two. Right. I would I would go Salah over over Kane and De Bruyne. I think the thing about De Bruyne, I think he's abs- I mean, he's the the lad's pure gravy. He's he's yeah. unbelievable. But I do think with De Bruyne in that Man City team. I do think there's players you could drop in there who would do the same or very, very similar, um, achieve the same sort of levels as De Bruyne, to be honest. Whereas mm-hmm. I think with I think Salah and De Gea are the two who are achieving superhuman results, really. Um, yeah. Kane, as I said, I completely wrote Kane off for the same reason you did, that I... I just worry about Harry Kane moving to another team at any point in his career, really, because I think he needs that um, environment where everything is set up for Harry Kane. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Are you in agreement? Ryan's picked De Bruyne as his Player of the Year. Would you? Would you have him over? I saw Salah. I saw some got some betting PR email today that said Salah was. Uh, three to ten now, uh, so heavy odds on to win Player of the Year. Has that surprised you, or is it kind of recency I, I, bias? Or this might right take De Bruyne out of that City side, and I still think they win the Premier League, not as comfortably, but I still think they win the Premier League, and they probably score all but maybe ten or fifteen of the goals they've got up until this point. Take Salah out of that Liverpool team, and. I don't think they're still in the Champions League and I think they're pushing for a top four place rather than being completely comfortable and looking forward to the Champions League next year. And mm-hmm. I think on that basis, for what he's brought to his team, I think it has to be Salah. No, I, I think you could say that about a lot of the Man City players. Though, that um, I mean, they've taken Sergio Aguero out for, for long periods and that hasn't stopped them. Uh, Benjamin Mende seemed to be the, the perfect fullback, and, and his disappearance, or admittedly very early in the season, hasn't affected them. They've toyed around with centre backs. That there's no, there's no one player that is entirely critical to Pep Guardiola's system or mm-hmm. Joseph Guardiola's system. I, I don't like referring to him as Pep. So I, I, there's, there are lots of players, and, and that's the beauty of it, and, and why he has a relatively small squad, but but he's able to rely on all of them. Um, I agree with you that I think Liverpool would be a lot worse off without Salah. But yeah, to to say that City would be fine without Bruyne, therefore 
And so reading off to pick is, is a bit... Unclear. Okay, we're going to move on anyway. Uh, no fist fights. Um, the title has obviously now been won in fairly anticlimactic fashion. Uh, having dragged Livy to the pub to watch City Man United because I thought this was going to be the title one, we then went out for a meal at Sunday, Sunday lunch at 4pm and... Uh, completely missed the title being won and that's kind of how it felt very anticlimactic and but symbolic of Manchester United season I suppose uh, but let's assess Manchester City um, Dave has done the questions this week and he has uh, handily phrased it as best Premier League title winners ever or a bunch of frauds um, there can be no in between yeah exactly it does feel like that and um, thankfully we're going to talk about the in between I hope Um Ryan, go first again. Uh, I'm in somewhere in between, I think. I think the best Premier League title winners there could be. Uh, I think you look at the points total that a team amasses and uh, you can make arguments for the necessarily quality of the league or quality of the, uh, certainly their rivals and the teams chasing them. But if they are to pick up uh, 15 points from the final five games or, or somewhere close to it and get close to that 100 point mark yeah. then they they will certainly go in there for for a single season and they will go in there the the difficulty I think they have at the moment is that they will be compared to teams that had a had an ear about them and, and certainly had a, a few seasons of quality and I think this was something Gary Neville was mentioning on Monday Night Football that it, one season is great and, and winning the Premier League but to be remembered as, as along with the Invincibles and, and they get referred to as the Invincibles because of that one season but they had they were uh, so good in, in the years before and, and possibly immediately after you look at, at two of Ferguson's sides and, and the success they had in over a two three year spell winning a couple of league titles winning uh, Champions League in a, or a European trophy that City probably need to do those before they can mm. this Guardiola team can, can get in that conversation but for a single season uh, the way that they have swept so many sides apart and stuck to the, the task, got on with things yes they've had a couple of blips but, but everybody has those um, they've not lost that many games in the, the grand scheme of things um, and when they've, they've failed they've uh, failed pretty spectacularly which is kind of the way that their game is set up to go that they the, so the way that they play will, will obviously lend itself to big wins in one direction and potentially embarrassing defeats in the other. Um, but they, they kind of have to go for it. And if they get picked off, they will leave gaping holes and it, it can all turn around quite quickly. Uh, so potentially the greatest single season that we'll have seen in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, still much to be done, I think, if they want to go down as, as one of those sides that's fondly remembered. Dave? Uh, they're not. They're not. I think in scale of achievement, the the problem is that I think the the competition has to come into it. It has to, and you look at so like that the ninety eight ninety nine Man United side, which is a side a lot of people have used um, to in recent days to compare. They get absolutely played off the park by this city side. They really do, but mm. that. That 2006 to 2009 Man United team um, that won the league three times in a row fought off an incredibly strong Chelsea side twice 
uh, and won the first league by six points, second league by two points. Thought off that incredible charge from a brilliant Liverpool side and won the league by four points. And then in 2009-10, they, they only lost the league by a point to Chelsea. Um, and you have to bring the competition into it because this year, Man United currently in second. We've just had that discussion. We don't know why it's David De Gea. Um, Liverpool are great, but they're also capable of beating Man City one week and then losing to Swansea literally in the very next game. Uh, Chelsea haven't had a manager for three quarters of the season. Arsenal haven't had a manager (laughs) since about 2008. the competition in the Premier League at the very top, it's its just not very good. And this Manchester City side, as brilliant as they are, and as pretty as all the football is they play, they have not been put... This, this title was won in November. It, it really was. Um, so I, I think the difference is, I think if they retain it in a similar fashion next year against what I think or what I hope will be stronger opposition from the three or four who can push them, I think then you can look back and say, yeah, this team is right up there with any other team you want to mention. But, mm. you know, if you it, even just on a single season, you can beat that points total and score all those goals and all that sort of thing. But to go a season unbeaten in terms of single season achievement is phenomenal. You know, you only have to look at how many times it's been done to realise how difficult it is in worldwide football, never mind uh, the Premier League. So in terms of a single season, you have to say the Invincibles have got them there. In terms of something dynastic, you'd have to say that 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 Man United team that won it three years has them there. But they could Mm. be. City genuinely could be. They could go on and dominate for the next five years, conceivably. And that's when you talk about, well, yeah, you know, they're obviously the greatest side. But at the moment... No, and I think not only no, I I make them sort of fourth, fifth, or in perhaps even sixth down the list. Mm. I, I, my honest answer is that I I don't know, which is not particularly helpful. Um, and mm. but <laughs> I I, I, th- I do think we look back on some sides fondly, more fondly than they deserve in hindsight, and we look back at other sides less fondly than they deserve in hindsight. And I completely think agree. That, yeah, it means we judge. We judge City. It's impossible to judge City in the moment. I think, um, but in their defence, I think people now, and it's inevitable because we're in April now, not August. But people for, are forgetting where they came from. City came from. You know, at the start of the season, they were favourites for the title, but they were not strong favourites by any means. I think they were kind of neck and neck. Some bookmakers are Manchester United favourites, especially when they signed Paul Pogba, uh, signed Romelu Lukaku. Sorry. Um, and then they signed Emmanuel Matic and the price came in again and they were kind of neck and neck at the start of the season and what Manchester City have done is decimated the competition effectively um, it, it, the idea that people, teams have rolled over to City rolled over and you know had their bellies tickled by City is kind of true but that's because they've been psychologically beaten because they've been so good in their other games and the other thing I'd say is that there's also and I, I get into arguments and this on Twitter and I shouldn't and it's Borlake but this idea that Guardiola took over a much better side than uh, or squad than Mourinho had I think he did I don't think there's any doubt about that they had a better squad but it, it wasn't a squad that had the gap 
gaps in performance that we're seeing now between Manchester City and Manchester United. And they're really, I think the best way of looking at that is, is between Martial and Sterling, who were both kind of similar ages when the manager took over. They'd both been named European Golden Boy. They'd both had good seasons, but also were kind of struggling a little bit and they were worried about consistency. And the difference in output in those two players is extraordinary. And it looks like Manchester United will bin off Anthony Martial this summer. Um, he's annoyed he's not got a new, you know, he he hasn't signed a new deal yet, and he hasn't. He's annoyed he's not getting enough football, and it looks like he'll leave. Um, and if he goes and performs somewhere else and performs really well somewhere else, that deserves to look bad on Jose Mourinho, um, because this idea that Guardiola's just come in and spent loads of money and that's it is farcical. It's absolutely farcical. It isn't that easy. You, you it can... is. It is farcical, Dan. And I I agree with everything you've said, but I do think the fact that the best manager in the world took over one of the best squads in the world and mm. then spent more money than got in the summer. It can't just be discounted. We can't just say, no, 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 well, you know, not. it's all down, it, you know, it's all down to Pep's brilliance. He's, no, 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 he's, not. he started from a far higher base than anybody else and then was allowed to improve it when he proved last year, last season, that he couldn't implement what he wanted with what he had. So no, it, he, it's, did, he did, but he, it's he stupid also... to turn around and say that it's all about the money or, or well, that that yeah, somehow downgrades the achievement because it's yeah. difficult to spend money correctly. But it also has to be in the conversation. Yeah, of course. And and one of the retorts from Manchester United fans is, well, it's quite easy to spend money when if it goes wrong, you just buy someone else, and that's that's a fair accusation. The thing is. And this summer will be telling because the thing is that the only player that Manchester City have really done that with is Claudio Brava, who was 32 when he signed or 33 when he signed for, and he was, I say only, but he was only 17 million in that he wasn't a hugely expensive player. They signed they signed Emeric Laporte in, in January, but they've been tracking Laporte for two years and, and Guardiola has always liked him. So the only player they've actually binned off because it's not worked at the moment is Bravo. Now this summer... There's the potential for Manchester United to sell Anthony Martial, and there's also the potential for Manchester United to sell Paul Pogba, which then Manchester United, or then Jose Mourinho, has bought the most expensive player in the history of British football, and two years later is selling him because he can't get a tune out of him. And we know Pogba can, can perform elsewhere. And at that point, I think, even considering the spending, Mourinho is kind of is playing catch-up in terms of Guardiola's reputation uh, because the football isn't great the, some of the performances isn't great there doesn't seem to be an ability to generate goodwill from performance to performance um, so uh, it's hard it's really impossible to answer this question obviously but I wonder if we will look back in a few years when a league title winner gets 84 points or 82 points and go Jesus they were really really good weren't they because <laughs> they got 99 points or 101 points whatever they're going to get uh, it's ludicrous totals uh, has anyone got anything else to add? no done good good uh, question 4 is from at Nason who I assume is A not his real name and B on Twitter uh, I think Nason, this, this might be a hat trick ball I think this might be his third question ok gets to keep wrong. the podcast um, <laughs> this is I should say as well having Research thoroughly before the show. This is a bloody good question. It is. Um, uh, I, or Nason, has decided that his favourite 
time in all of football is the time immediately after the first round of group games at a World Cup because there's just been a week-long binge of football but there's basically still an entire World Cup to come. What's your favourite time in football? And you can take that that question however you like, I guess. Uh, Dave, go on. Um, FA Cup third round weekend. Nice. Um, i that down, which is bad. Which oh. I, I, I've loved since I, uh, loved since I were a kid. There's always... Uh, some really good games. There's always a load of hashtag narrative kicking about. Yeah. Um, I'm not somebody who downplays or devalues the tournament. I think the FA Cup is still bloody great. And I think one of the things that makes it great is that particular round, is that third round. And um, it, it comes at the right time of year, really, as well. It comes just after Christmas. And it's, yeah, it, I, I just... Love that. So the only time that comes close to me is is genuinely the the day of England's first game at any major tournament, which right. is is just a day of of hope and expectation, just waiting to be crushed by ninety minutes of dreadful football. Whereas the FA Cup third round day, it's it's just a far more hopeful time. And but yeah, yeah. But this is a bloody good question because it made me think that. Actually, there are lots of favourite times in football, but everything I came up with, some of which I'm not going to mention now because I think you'll probably cover them, but everything for me is just about pipped by FA Cup third round weekend, but it is very close. That's a really good answer. I didn't write it down, which is bad, but the England World Cup thing for me, I get what you're saying, but to me, that's there's so many nerves in there as well that it almost almost I feel a bit sick on the day especially if it's an evening game just feel a bit sick so that kind of takes it away a little bit for me um, but no absolutely great shouts right right there is a, a time every two years um, I it kind of ha- I think it happens twice in, in about a five month spell from the point when our World Cup or European Championship draw takes place in December until kind of around about now so I've already done it twice where I spend the afternoon, I spend a couple of hours just looking through the fixture yeah. schedule for <laughs> yeah. said upcoming yeah. competition and just have a lovely time and just go, all right, so the time difference is right, that's fine. So, And then just go, oh, okay. <laughs> and then uh, Friday. So I'll finish work then and uh, I, get home between uh, half time and full time and just have a lovely yeah, day. I find wh- how I'm going to watch every I find game. as well that. The World Cup predictors, like the Telegraph, got a really good one. That's yeah. completely separate to this feeling you're talking about, right? Because it's not about results, is it? And it's not about trying to no. be strategic and planning it all. It's about everything, every single. How can I drip feed football into myself day after day after day? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and 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 some of it's planning and going right. Well. I know that my friend's birthday is around the uh, the beginning of July. What games am I going to miss if I have to go out for drinks or dinner? Or where can we where can we convince them to have said party that there will be a telly nearby, etc., etc. Just uh, plotting. It's it is a favourite feeling. I I think FA third FA Cup third round again is is a really good one and, and not one I even thought about, but. Yeah, that I think it's the anticipation uh, of of a major competition that just gets me really giddy. Good, good. Uh, I've got kind of similar. I, I had to do it 
kind of break it up slightly in terms of when I was a kid, uh, absolutely what you're saying in terms of anticipation of World Cups, basically. World Cup, actually just the World Cup draw and just working out the groups and working out who's me playing who and stuff is is amazing. Uh, but also as a kid, I really liked uh, Fixtures Day mm. in terms of, you know, That Forest was my other one, Dan. Whoever team. Yeah, yeah, but that was really my other like one, Fix, Fixtures Day, when yeah. you could sit there and start to plan. <laughs> yeah, Boxing Day. and mm. um, I'll go for the ones, the current ones, because they're less, they're the same as you have, basically, which is night before the World Cup and, and first fat Saturday of the full season as well. Right, there's, uh, there's basically going to be 40 to 40, yeah, probably 40 games on today in a league the first Saturday of the full season I love and I actually don't agree with having games on the Friday night of the first before the start of the season that annoys me a little bit um, I think it should be a we all go at the same time um, and then the one when I was maybe I'd, younger before I worked hashtag in the game um, uh, that feeling of leaving work at Tuesday at maybe half three because you'd taken you're leaving work early because you were going to an away game on a Tuesday night so it's like you're out of work early, you're going to have a few beers and then you were going to go to an away game and you didn't care what time you got home. That is an amazing feeling of freedom. It's a sort of first day of the holidays feeling. Uh, so I went for that. Mm. As ever, about eight different answers. One of those <laughs> uh, questions, I reckon if you asked this in about six months, we'd all come up with something different yeah. as well. But it gets yeah. all a little bit yeah. giddy and we all talk a little bit faster than we did for any other question, which yeah. is great. <laughs> um, I, it must, as much as it pains me to say it, um, question five is also a belter. Um, because again, and Dave, you wrote this one, Dave, it made me think for about 15 minutes about what I wanted. Um, and your question is, Galazzo, the BT Sport Football Italia Gazetta documentary was brilliant, I think we can all agree. So pitch me... Dave, your dream football documentary that isn't about your own club. Um, I'll go first because I have a I haven't gone first yet, and B there is already a documentary about my own club, which is brilliant. Um, so I've got three ideas, lads. I mean, I've got three answers. <laughs> uh, coming in at number th- three, a uh, documentary about Ireland at the nineteen ninety four World Cup. Mm. Uh, that Decent. would be yeah, that would be nice. Uh, coming in at number two, uh, Bobby Robson's season at Barcelona. Decent. Be a nice one. Uh, and number one, and I've even got a title for you, uh, Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola <laughs> famously said about Barcelona, Cruyff built the cathedral, our job is to maintain it. So my documentary is La Masia building the cathedral. So nice. nice. Now I want to ma- I want to make all three of those now, and I'm not a filmmaker, which is annoying. Uh, right, you go, Rye. Uh, Northern Ireland at the 1986 yes, World Cup. On a technicality, shout. that. Uh, I like that. Not your own club, but your own country. Not my own club. Uh, or 1982, I think it's interesting, and they got uh, to the second round and, and then got battered by the, the French team. But I think um, 82, uh, sorry, 86 is uh, just. I think it would be slightly more interesting. I think it was a bit more expected to side, and then they managed to lose. Um, but yeah, that that is kind of where I'd like to be. I think I'd. Yeah, this is assuming that there is is lots of um, kind of footage and everything around it. And then I would also like a documentary on 
England's first World Cup. Um, obviously, they, they lost the USA, mm. and it kind of ideally there would be some nice. injuries. No way this footage exists. No, yeah. I, I I think there's a lot to be explored in the arrogance of that England side when they went out there, um, and and maybe even more so the officials and and uh, the people that, that kind of sent them. I I have absolutely no idea if this is true or not, but I I really hope that given the success of football documentaries recently. Um, there are so many books out there that would be so easy to turn into, I think, pretty brilliant documentaries that I hope that they are all being thought of behind the scenes because it does feel like we're in a bit of a boom for this medium. Uh, go on, Dave, you go. Uh, I've got five. Good. Four, four suggestions, Do one it like that a... absolutely has to be made. Okay, I want them in I want them in reverse order, hit parade style. Right. At number five... Zamora, the man, the myth, the legend. Good. <laughs> right? Yeah. At number four, yeah. I would I mean, love... I your own club. I'm ruling that, but fine. Well, we'll, we'll major on the West time at West Ham. Um, <laughs> at number four, I would love something that goes into... the Behind the scenes, it was a bit of a barn pop. I would love something that goes into the Saint and Greavesy years. Uh, okay. Galazzo style and talks to some of the people involved, etc., etc., uh, I would love, uh, obviously, All Played Out is my favourite ever football book. One Night in Turin, I think, is an absolute brilliant football documentary um, about the England team. I would like a very similar style one about Euro 96, because I think nearly every programme that's been made about Euro 96 hasn't been very good, if I'm completely honest. Um, and, a bit, they all focus a bit too much on England players being banterous. Yes, and there's not enough of actually going into the football and various other bits and bobs. One Night in Turin is tremendous because it, it tells the proper story behind the football as well as the story behind everything else going on around that tournament. And Euro mm. 96 deserves a similar documentary. Uh, number two... <laughs> that was I would, all one, was it? Fine. Yeah, I would love uh, something about the, the career of Ariel Ortega, the original new Maradona um, yeah. who is a player who I absolutely love and whose whose career fascinates me for all sorts of reasons but at number one and the one I think absolutely has to be made an English language 90 minute documentary telling the history and the intertwining of River and Boca and how we got from day one to today and their rivalry and various talk about some of the players involved and all that sort of thing I would watch the damn shit out of that that is a fair I think that's one of the best questions we've had Mm. I'm almost sad Chris isn't answering them as well but we've got about 12 ideas there it would be something Villa based yeah that's true if we go to if we go to BT now I reckon we could get six of these made yeah no bother no bother probably get them up before the World Cup I don't know how TV works, but I assume it's that easy. <laughs> just record it and just play. Yeah, be fine, be right. Right, that's all we've got time for. That was a, a ripper, I think. So, uh, we love you. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and that. Um, we will be back next week, and we will be talking about some other lovely things. Uh, have a good week. Goodbye. See you there. Bye.